Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Crossing Church. So good to have all of you with us here today in person. And we also want to thank all those joining us by way of our broadcast today at 11.15 Live. And then uh, those that may be watching by way of a recording uh, following that, we know that there are some doing it throughout the week. And so we're really glad that you're joining us by whatever means uh, uh, is most comfortable for you right now. So as we begin, let me just mention a couple of things um, that I would say are more by, by way of just housekeeping, but I think are significant. Uh, number one, at the end of our service today, as we're kind of concluding, we are going to be gathering together around the Lord's table. So uh, certainly if you've come in already to the auditorium, if you haven't picked up the elements, they were at the door as you entered the auditorium today. You can certainly help yourself to that uh, somewhere between now and the end of our service. And then also for those that are joining us by home, it'd be a good time for you to prepare by getting a cracker or a wafer, a piece of bread. Uh, And certainly if you have juice, great. If not, water will suffice. Uh, There's a way for us just to have these elements that are meaningful and remind us of uh, that act of the Lord's table together. I also want to mention this morning that we are beginning the slow roll toward eliminating our protocols Uh, here at Grace Crossing Church. Now, it is going to be a slow roll, uh, but effective this week. There was no need to register for our service, so that's good news. People can start coming now without having to worry about registering. Unless you have children, we encourage you that you'll continue to do that if you have kids. But I think we're all looking forward to the day when we're going to have live worship again on a regular basis, right? And I think we're looking forward to the day that we're not going to have to wear our face masks when we come and we gather here in our service. And that day is coming, friends. I know it's felt long. I talked to somebody this morning at the beginning of the service. I said, so good to see you. And he said, it's been a year and a month. I know 13 months for some people. Uh, But they're back here today, and we're glad. And we're glad for those that, as they feel comfortable, will come and be able to join us. But I just want you to know that we are uh, listening well to our COVID care team that has their pulse on this pandemic, and they're giving us good, sound advice and counsel that is helping us make decisions as it relates to our protocols. And we will continue uh, to get rid of different mitigations as we feel the time uh, is certainly right and warranted and helps us continue to love really, really well. And in the meantime, let me just say thank you to all of you. I know this has been a time that has tested our endurance. This has tested our faith. It's tested our trust in God and in each other. And I know that many of us have struggled with some of these protocols. I I get it. I, I understand it. And I can tell you our heart from the beginning and has always been and will always remain the same, that we want to love every person as best we can knowing that at times it will mean people will be disappointed. Um, I, I, I affirmed this years ago in my heart before the Lord that I'm going to do my best to please God and love everybody. But I cannot reverse the equation. We cannot reverse as leaders that equation. We cannot make it our goal to please everybody. It's impossible to do that. But we can love everybody. And then we can make it our attempt to please God in everything we do. And I can tell you that's been our big ambition throughout this pandemic, and it will continue to be as it guides us into the future. Now, let me also mention that, uh, we, we, again, Dale's already mentioned one prayer and also the National Day of Prayer on Thursday. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us uh, for that. Um, one of the cool things that, that uh, the National Day of Prayer team is doing this year is they're having a, um, a, a white pastor pray with a pastor of color. 
around different themes and different topics. And I have the privilege of praying with a dear friend of mine who's one of the most influential pastors in Dayton, Pastor St. Luke Missionary Baptist Church. And we're going to be praying about the church in unity uh, at the National Day of Prayer. And I'm really excited to be able to stand together with him shoulder to shoulder as we pray about the church and about unity and what God's doing in that area here uh, in the Miami Valley. And so didn't Dale do a good job, by the way, with, with announcements this morning and with welcome? Okay. Dale, if somebody's going to mess up the org or net, I'd rather have them do that and nail our vision statement, right? Nail it. And he nailed it this morning, didn't he? Not even a hiccup in that. So I, I think we give lots of grace, right, for, for those other areas. But man, thanks for knowing our vision. I heard my wife saying it with you as you were saying it. Well, this morning, it's a joy to come back to our fourth week of our series, Unshakable. I think we all agree that Everything this past year plus that could be shaken has been shaken. And yet God has given us a firm anchor in the midst of all of this. And that anchor is an anchor called faith. And so by way of definition, we, we looked our very first week at what faith is from Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. Let me just remind us of it this morning together as we read it. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is trust. Christian faith is trust in God. Now, I know that sounds elementary, and it is elementary, because as with everything God does, God makes things simple enough that even children can get it. So that's what faith is. Faith. Think of faith as trust that's built on the tripod of confidence, hope, and assurance. You've got to have all those dynamics working when it comes to faith. You've got to have confidence in God. You've got to have hope in God. And you have to have an assurance of the things that you do not see. I said the very first week that a good way to remember faith is by a very simple acrostic. Forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. So when it comes right down to it, faith answers the question, can God be trusted? Actually, more specifically, it answers the question, can I trust God? Can I trust God with my worries? Can I trust God with my doubts? Can I trust God with my marriage? Can I trust God with my finances? Can I trust God with my career, with my retirement? Can I, can I trust God with my health? Can I trust God with my future? The answer to that question is so significant because it's really the essence of what faith is. So over the last week, I have been meditating on a passage of scripture that has spoken deeply to me. It's not a passage I'm unfamiliar with, but for some reason, the Lord has had me kind of swimming in this chapter of scripture over the past week, and I carried it with me uh, into my Sabbath rest this week and just meditated on the verse. The passage of scripture is actually Psalm 136. What's unique about it is Psalm 136 has 26 verses. 
And every single verse contains the exact same phrase. Exact phrase. So it's repeated 26 times in 26 verses. It's as though the psalmist wanted to make sure that this one got, got, got etched onto the tablet of our heart so firmly that it was etched in stone that we would never, ever forget it. And here's the first verse of Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now I'm gonna just pause there for a moment. Faith answers the question, can God be trusted? But faith also answers the question, is God good? And we cannot separate those two elements because trust and God's goodness go hand in hand. When we start to doubt God's goodness, what happens? It begins to erode our trust. When you begin to doubt the goodness of a person in your life, what happens? It begins to erode your trust. And when trust begins to be eroded, what happens? Suspicion rises. You begin to question their goodness. It's a cycle. So even though they are very distinct, the goodness of God and trusting in God, they are not inseparable. They go hand in hand. So the psalmist begins these 26 verses by saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Then here's the phrase that gets repeated 26 times. For his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. It's really ministered to my heart this week because it's reminded me that even though people's love can be fickle, can be temperamental, can come with strings attached, God's love never does. It reminded me as I've sat in it this week that there is little in this life that is enduring, that will last forever. According to the second law of thermodynamics, everything will move toward ruin, right? Cars will rust, toys will break, ice cream will melt, people will eventually die, every one of us. But there are some things that are never going to go away. They're gonna be forever. And, and one of the only things that you and I can count on in this life is his love. His love will endure forever toward you, toward me. It'll never change. That's how steadfast it is. And that word steadfast was my word God gave me for 2021. So when I read about the steadfast love of the Lord, whew, it just brings my heart alive. I just, something inside of me just leaps. Because I go, man, God, thank you that you're modeling for me what steadfastness looks like. It is something that, is enduring. It is something that is immovable. It is something that doesn't get thrown by the circumstances of life. And aren't you glad that's how God's love is for you? Now this morning, as we come into this fourth week, with that framework of God's love and goodness of God, I, I want to give us another angle on faith today that I think is really critical. It's actually given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse number 7. Here it is. We walk by faith, not by sight. A.W. Tozer said that faith is not a conclusion you reach. Faith is a journey you live. 
I like that because I think it's exactly what the scripture teaches. Faith, more than anything else, is a walk. It is a step-by-step, moment-by-moment journey in which we are walking not based upon what our eyes see, not based on what is in the natural, but based on what we cannot see. Did you know your eyes can deceive you? Did you know your eyes can play tricks on you, can make you believe things that are real, and in reality, they are not real? How many of you are familiar with those things called the magic eye, where you actually stare into something and there is a, there, there's an image that will eventually form, but you've got to look past the 2D. You've got to start looking into the 3 You've got to look beyond. And your eyes have to focus beyond what they tend to do. Our brain tricks us. That when we look at something, we believe it is what we see. And yet in reality, faith doesn't operate that way. Let me give you the big idea for this morning's talk. Logic says, if I see it, I can believe it. But faith says, if I believe it, then I can see it. Our logic tells us that if we see it, we then can believe it, but faith doesn't do it that way. It's not because faith is illogical. Faith is actually supernatural, which means it is superlogical. It is beyond our natural senses, our natural reasoning. And so in reality, faith says that if I believe it, I, through God, with assurance, with hope, with confidence can see it. Now, you may or may not see it in the end, but you recognize the possibilities of what can be. Because I think that's what faith does. Faith fills us not only with hope, but faith fills us with possibilities. That all things are possible. And more on that in the coming weeks. We must understand that when we come to God in faith, that it is a, it is a walk that involves trusting our sixth sense, something beyond our five senses, God's spirit within us. There's a powerful illustration of this walk of faith that we find in Matthew's gospel. It's a story that some of you here are gonna be very familiar with. Others of you, this is gonna be a brand new story for you. It's a story of a storm and a ghost, and a fisherman who walks on water. Sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? Well, this morning, pun intended, let's dive in. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 24 through 26. The disciples were in trouble. Pause. Do you ever feel like the disciples? Do you ever feel like I'm in trouble? Life right now is filled with trouble. Things are not going the way that I had planned or intended or hoped or dreamed. The disciples find themselves one night, and these are experienced, trained fishermen. They, they understood the Sea of Galilee. They understood how to navigate turbulent times. But in this particular night, they're in trouble. Why are they in trouble? Let's read. They're in trouble because they're far away from the land, one, A strong wind had risen, too, 
and they were fighting heavy waves. They're in trouble. The Bible goes on to say about three o'clock in the morning, trouble really is about to come. Because about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Now notice what they do. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. I love how raw, how honest the scripture is. It gives us insight into the humanness of all the different characters in the Bible. Disciples were brilliant men in some ways in the fact that they had been with God, they had been with Jesus. But in other ways, these are just simple guys. They're just simple down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth men who want to do something big in their life and all of a sudden they find themselves in the midst of being overwhelmed with fear. They're in trouble. Their hearts are in trouble. And I love how Jesus speaks to them. I love how Jesus speaks into their fear. And we're going to camp here for a while this morning. Verse 27. Jesus says three things to them in verse number 27. Here it is. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. I just absolutely love this. Jesus comes and he speaks three distinct things to them in verse 27. He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. What Jesus does here is Jesus gives to them two commands along with one compelling motivation for why they can fulfill the commands that Jesus is giving them. And so this morning, I want to unpack these with you. The very first command that Jesus gives them is this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Did you know that this is the most repeated phrase in the entire Bible? Don't be afraid. Here's what that tells me. That tells me that the Bible's filled with fear. Just think about it. The Bible is filled with fear in the sense that people are honestly afraid at different points and different times, and God has to keep coming, and God has to keep reminding us, don't be afraid. You know why God does it? God does it because he knows that fear is both an obstacle and it's also a catalyst. I want you just to think about this for a minute. Fear is not only an obstacle, but fear is also a catalyst. Because there is nothing in this life that moves us to faith and moves us to God quite like fear does, right? So fear is a catalyst. If you Google the word fear, you will find over 2,000 unique classifications of fear. They're often called phobias, right? Did you know that there's even a fear of fear? It's called phobophobia. There are so many fears that people have in this life, and yet here's the reality about fear. 
Fear is a learned behavior. We are, according to psychologists, are only born with two fears, two innate fears. Fear of falling and fear of loud noises. That's it. That's what we as children are born afraid of. Which means that every other fear that we experience in this life is something that we have learned. We've been taught it. We've been told to be afraid of it. Don't go there. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Be careful here. And what does it do? It creates this panic and anxiety in us that all of a sudden begins to consume us with fear, most of it, 99 plus percent of it, which is unfounded. Here's the good news about all this, friends, this morning. It's really good news. It's good news that there are 2,000 fears, but they're learned. Because the good news is, if they are learned, they can be unlearned. With God, every fear that is a learned fear can in turn be unlearned. And how do we unlearn our fears? We unlearn them by bringing our fears to God. Nothing grows your faith like facing your fears do. Facing your fears grows your faith more than just about anything else. You know, Throughout this pandemic, there has been, as you have experienced, a high level of anxiety, a lot of fear. I will confess to you that early on, I was feeling my own fear stirring in me. Which again, because the Bible is so filled with fear, we should not feel so weak and ashamed to admit it when we feel it, because it's part of being human. And I think we've all felt some different anxiety and fear throughout this pandemic, including when the vaccinations were starting to be released. People began to sow seeds of fear in whether or not it could be trusted, whether or not we should be vaccinated. Listen, I get that there is a wide spectrum of opinions and experiences of why people do vaccinate or don't vaccinate. I'm not going to get into that arena this morning. That's a decision you'll need to make. Here is my point, though. If fear is what's keeping you from doing it, bring God into that. Just bring God into that. As of this past Tuesday, I am as fully vaccinated as I'm going to get, and I'm standing here before you this morning, okay? And then this is the thing about vaccinations. If you want to get protected from a threat, you've got to be exposed to a little bit of it. That, that is true spiritually speaking as well. If, if we're going to be able to handle the threat of fear, we need to be exposed to a small amount of it so that God is able to help us. And so I want to ask you a question this morning before we move to the second thing Jesus says. Here's the question. Where am I experiencing fear? in my life right now? Where am I experiencing fear in my life right now? You know what? Don't judge that. Don't contemn yourself for it. But pay attention to it. And pay attention to the fact that God wants you to share that with him. That God wants you to invite that fear, invite him into that fear so that the two of you can walk along together in faith and handle this fear. And just simply say, God, what are we going to do about this fear that I have? 
and God will respond to your invitation. So Jesus says, don't don't be afraid. The second thing Jesus says is take courage. Take courage. Let me, for just a moment this morning, expand upon the definition of faith that we're using. Let me expand this way. Faith is trust. And here's the expansion. Faith is trust that expresses courage. Courage is not the absence of fear any more than faith is the absence of doubt. The reality is, is that faith operates because of doubt, just like courage operates because of fear. So so faith is trust that expresses courage to confront fear. That's the definition I want you to think about when it comes to faith. Faith is trust that expresses courage to confront fear. What Jesus knew that was going on in that boat in that moment was that they had been disheartened. Jesus knew that they had become discouraged. They began to lack courage. And just as Jesus gives us the freedom from our fears, he also gives us the courage to move in and face our fears. As odd as this may sound to you, as odd as this may sound, the remedy to fear is actually fear. I know know that sounds odd, but stay with me for just a moment. The remedy to fear is actually a little dose of fear. The remedy to the fear of failure is not success. The remedy to the fear of failure is a small dose of failure that lets you get back up and keep on going. The remedy to the fear of rejection is not acceptance. It's a little dose of rejection so that you learn how to face the fear with God and have the courage to move into it by his grace. Does that make sense, friends? I think what we often do is we think if I just pray about it, that'll be enough. And God says, no, I want you to move in. I want you to lean in to your place of fear. I'm with you. But, but you've got to have the courage to move toward it. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, I remember when Ashley was, was just our oldest daughter learning to swim. She loved the pool. She loved going to the pool. She loved the water. In those days, we didn't take kids to swim lessons, which I think is so important. My, my, my six-month-old granddaughter, Emma, is in swim lessons right now, learning how to not fear water. I think the earlier we start them, the better. But we just love the pool, so we swam with our kids a lot, and they love the pool. Well, she grew to the place where she'd go off the, you know, the low dive, but she always wanted to go off the high dive. But you had to reach a certain level on the ladder in size before you would be allowed to go off the high dive. I will never forget, Ashley, the, the, the summer we went to the pool and she realized that she had grown enough that she could now go off the high dive. She, she climbed that ladder as bravely as any little girl would. I'll never forget her little body <laughs> going up that ladder higher and higher and higher. 
And then I saw her go way out to the end of it and take one look over and turned around and started walking backward. But well, by this point, jumpers had lined up, right? Kids are all filing behind. The next kid's ready to come up the ladder and she is petrified. And there was nowhere for her to go. So she turns around and she goes back to the end of the ladder and just freezes. I mean, just freezes. I was on the other end of the deep end. I was urging her on, cheering her on. You can do this, Ashley. You can do this. Take one step and the rest will be decided for you, right? That's all you got to do, one step. And she finally does. She takes one step. Well, guess what? We never got her off the high dive after it. When she hit that water and she came out and realized that she had conquered a fear, there was just something liberating for her. And she climbed over to that ladder, got out, and guess where she went? Right back in the line again. You see, we need to face our fears with God's help in the midst of our circumstance. And that's why the third thing that Jesus says is the motivation. This is the compelling motivation for why you don't have to be afraid and why you can take courage. Jesus says, I am here. The disciples were in trouble. In this life, so are we. The disciples cried out in fear. Sometimes so do we. The disciples needed an assurance that he was, he was near. So do we. we. We need to know this promise, that regardless of what we're facing, we're never alone. We may feel alone. We may feel at times forsaken or abandoned, but we're not. We're not alone. We need Jesus with skin on, I call it. We need the body of Christ to be Jesus with skin on to us so that we see God's love in people. But we need that deep conviction that God is near and God is close. What happens next in the story is really where faith, the walk of faith, comes into play. Verses 28 and 29 of Matthew 14. Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you. Now, what are you hearing in that statement? Right? What we're hearing in that statement is the honest confession that he is not 100% convinced that it's Jesus. He's not so sure that he's going to put all of his bets on that fact that the ghost is actually Jesus. The spirit walking on the sea is actually Jesus. So Peter, in this moment of faith, is also confessing his doubts. Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. By the way, have you ever noticed in the narrative who the initiator is? It isn't Jesus. Jesus is not the one who initiates with Peter. Come out and walk on water. Peter's the one initiating the exchange. Why is he doing it? Because he realizes that he needs to express and exercise courage right in the middle of his fears. And that's what he does. 
Here's how Jesus responds. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on the water toward Jesus. Can I give you another angle of faith this morning? Faith means at times we will look foolish. There are times in life when we trust God to do something that to the natural eye makes no sense. To the logical mind defies reason or logic. And we start to wonder, is God in that or am I just being foolish? If you were to hit the mute button in the narrative here in the story, in other words, you weren't to hear the exchange between Peter and Jesus, where Jesus says, come to me, here's what you would see. If you hit the mute button, you'd see a crazy Galilean stepping out of the middle of the boat in the middle of the night, in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a storm. That's what you'd see. And you'd go, what in the world is wrong with this guy? What is he thinking? Unfortunately, we don't have it muted. We hear the exchange that's going on. We recognize what's taking place, and we watch Peter do the unthinkable. In that moment, because of his faith, the water becomes unshakable. Think about this. The water is unshakable. A storm is raging, The Bible never says that Jesus calms the storm. Not in this story. The storm is still raging. Everything's still going on around Peter. But in that moment, the sea becomes like glass. Peter steps out of the boat. And in that moment, in many ways, he could have looked tremendously foolish. I wonder sometimes in our lives whether what keeps us from really trusting God and walking in faith is that we might look foolish. I mean, just think about it. We never say this. We never actually make the statement. We kind of hedge our bets. I can't admit that I need help because if I do, I might look foolish to others. I can't change my major midstream. I can't change my career midstream, midlife, because if I do, I might fail and I might look foolish. We can't pray for healing for people's bodies because what if they don't get healed? Am am I going to be a failure? And is my faith going to look foolish to others? I mean, reality is we don't say that, but deep inside, I think we feel that sense of there are times that if I do this and I step out of my comfort zone, I might actually look foolish. And you know what God is doing is he's inviting us because faith means we move beyond the foolishness to trust that God is with us in it even when it doesn't seem right to others, even when it doesn't appear logical or sensible. Now, there's a part of me that wishes the story ends there. I wish we could close it down, and that would be it, and we'd just be able to just cheer for Peter because what a brave man he was. But I'm kind of glad the story doesn't end there. Here's actually where the story ends. Verse number 30. 
when he, Peter, saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Let me let you in on a little secret this morning. Are you ready? Whenever we exercise faith, we will most certainly at some point second guess ourselves. Absolutely, 100% guaranteed. You, you will at some point begin to question your decision. We wish that in life everything that came with Christianity and with faith, we wish it was like everything else in life where we love things that come with a money-back guarantee, 100% satisfaction, right? Friends, there is no such thing as risk-free faith. It doesn't exist. It's not there. And if we are going to trust God in the midst of our storms, which is what Peter does, in the midst of the strong winds that are buffeting against us, pushing us back, we got to recognize there are times we're going to second guess and we got to bring God into that. We also have to bring others into that. To know that we grow through those times of trusting the Lord just like Peter did. When it comes to life, there are only two ways to live it. You can play it to win or you can play it not to lose. And there is a strong difference between those two. Most of the disciples, when you read the narrative of scripture, most often they are playing it safe, playing it cool, playing it not to lose. Not so with Peter. Not so with Peter. There are lots of people that would say, Peter sank. And you are exactly right. Peter did. But Peter was the only one gutsy enough to actually say to Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. He's the only one that pushes past his fear and moves into courage. Peter cut off Malchus's ear in the garden. True. But Peter's also the only one who stood up and defends Jesus in a time of his greatest need. Peter denied Jesus three times. True. But Peter's the only one close enough to Jesus in, when the heat is at its greatest to actually experience the heat of suffering. He's the only one. Everybody else had deserted already. Not Peter. He walks right alongside of Jesus at a distance, but with him all the way to the point that he denies him. Peter gets a bad rap, but in reality... Peter was a guy who learned how to push through his fear and walk with faith, with God's courage right beside him. When it comes down to it, friends, our story will never be this story. Like, we're never going to experience what Peter experienced. But this story is a microcosm of faith. It actually gives us a glimpse into what a walking by faith and not by sight looks like. And at the end of life, at the end of our life, I do not believe that our biggest regrets will be the places where we stepped out in faith and failed. I think the biggest regrets we'll have is the times we stayed in the boat and played it safe. I think the biggest regrets will be the times that we didn't trust God, even though we knew it was going to be hard. 
I, I don't think we're going to look back on life and say, man, I, 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 didn't, I, I sank here. <laughs> I think we're going to look back and say, I, I sat and didn't do anything God asked. So here's my conviction as we close. Here's my conviction. Sinking is always better than sitting. Sinking is always better than sitting. Because faith is a walk. It means you gotta get up. It means you gotta move forward. You gotta progress. And so as we close this morning and move into communion, here's my question. I want you to ponder prayerfully. I want you to ponder this. Where might God be inviting me to step out of my comfort zone and trust him? For some of us watching this broadcast today, it's coming back to a live service, an in-person service. There's been a lot of fear about coming back, what it will be like. I just want you to know, I invite you to bring God into that. That might be your next step. For some of you, it might be a step that you begin to, God's asking you to take to become deeper committed post-pandemic to Grace Crossing Church, to the body of Christ than you were pre-pandemic. It, it may be God saying to you, I, I want you to lay it all down, give it all to me, even though it's gonna be hard. For some of you that might be here in person or on our broadcast today, it might be crossing the line of faith and saying, God, I wanna, I wanna live for you. I wanna give my life to you. I, I, I've been hesitant, I've been tentative about doing this, but man, I wanna move all my chips to the middle of the, of the table today. I wanna give it all to you, God. I wanna lay it all there before you. So would you bow your head and just close your eyes and I want you to hold that prayerfully. Where might God be inviting me? Where might God be inviting me to step out of the boat of comfort, to trust him and express courage in the middle of my fear? Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.